The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer.
Hurry before they're all gone. All right. It's another film study. This is where it gets really fun and we get to get really detailed because it's the bye week. We get to look back at all the players. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Place good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing great. It's it's Florida and I'm still waiting for fall to hit down here. They keep telling me it's fall, but it's green and eighty nine degrees outside, so I don't think it's fall. That's that's kind of warm. You okay with that, or you you uh, prefer to have sixty degree weather? I'm I'm jealous when I see everyone else back in Maryland in sweatshirts and like the orange leaves and stuff. I'm a little jealous of that, but yeah. I'll, I'm going to win in January. My weather will win then. So, um, all right, Ken. So today we're going to break down, look back at the roster, do some evaluation, and focus on the offense. And really, the the best guy to get on the show to do this with us, who I imagine has been busy, at least on Twitter, interacting with people as everyone panicked as the trade deadline shut down and, and con- thinking the Ravens would do something. The best person we could get is Brian McFarlane. Uh, I mean, Mr. Salary Cap, as far as the Raven bloggers are concerned. Brian, how you doing? Good. How are you guys this evening? Life's good, Brian. Thrilled to have you on the show. This is the perfect guest for this, as uh, Josh alluded to. Kind of give people a background of how you got into salary cap work originally with uh, with the Ravens. Well, it, it really started back with the purge in 2002. Um, the Baltimore Sun, honestly, and we were all new to the NFL and knew what the salary cap was at that point. But the Baltimore Sun did a terrible job, I thought, of explaining. I mean, they explained the Ravens had to cut, I think it was 11 guys or 11 starters at that time. But they couldn't explain why. So I decided that, you know, it was uh, worth trying to figure it out. And over the years, um, you know, I was on message boards for many, many years um, doing updates and things like that. And uh, just kind of became my my niche. Yeah, very cool. And uh, check out his work on RSR. He's got a a lot of player contract details. I refer to them all the time, particularly when I write this these pieces uh, a couple times per year. And always great to have Brian on talk through them in terms of how we're evaluating players relative to the amount of cap space they take. So uh, really an ideal thing for Brian. And let me tell you about uh, what we're trying to do here. We're trying to categorize the players into five distinct groups. Uh, Young producers who are players on their first contract who you're effectively beating the cap with because they're already starters or already good players at at a certain level that I've kind of said arbitrarily. Then you have developmental players who are another group of, of young players, and you certainly need a good pool of these. These are kind of your candidates to move up to young producers. They're all on their first contract, so they're all inexpensive. Uh, once you get past that first contract, you can't be developmental and you can't be a young producer anymore, which means you can't beat the cap by a ton. But you have veterans playing for market value, and we'll go into that group a little bit later of, of who those are. Some of them are a little bit bargain prices, Most of them you're overpaying to various degrees or you're paying your star and cornerstone players. Uh, The next players uh, group is is probably the most serious here, the veteran cap value concerns. So these guys you're really overpaying for. Um, And we'll talk about those when we get later. And then the transitional players who uh, are here only short term. They may be first contract, they may be later, but they're not here for the long term. So those are really five groups that I found pretty much catch every player if if you're comfortable bucketing them. 
uh, as you go through. And uh, Brian, one, one of the things that you know we've talked about before in the show, but I think we always have to remind people about is players come into this league and they sign a contract that maybe for three years, if they're an undrafted free agent effectively because they become an ex- exclusive rights free agent, or it may be for four years if they sign a rookie deal as a drafted player. But in any, either way you look at it, they have a four-year declining option value to the team where they can beat the cap with that initial player contract or the initial player acquisition. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's your cheap labor. Those are the guys, um, we're, you know, we're, we're doing defense now, but that's where right now they have, they're going to have plenty of cap space next year because they have Lamar under a rookie contract. Um, so those are the guys. You know, they've missed on some of those guys. They missed on, they've whiffed on the safety so many times recently. Um, and then, then you have to sign your Earl Thomases and your Tony Jeffersons. And if, if Elam hits, now Elam actually by now would have been on his second contract. But, you know, they brought in Weddle basically to replace Elam. And then, you know, so they, they kind of get stuck in that cycle where when you're drafting the guys or you're, you're bringing up your undrafted free agents like they've always done so well, those are the guys – that allow you to go splurge on somebody else. Yep, exactly. So uh, let's talk about that young producer category because the safety position is prominent there. Uh, the young producers, I, I, I count them as four on the current uh, Ravens team. Marlon Humphrey, Matthew Judon, Michael Pierce, I think we'll all agree on. The fourth I have in this group and as a new addition is Chuck Clark. Yeah, I, yeah I mean, I think they all sort of certainly fit in there. Um, obviously the, they're about to become more expensive or three of the four of them, essentially with, uh, Judon and Pierce being free agents after this year and Humphrey will be, he's going to, he's finishing his third year, which by, according to the, the, um, the CBA, he's entitled to a contract extension and that this seems to be the time. And Eric DaCosta has. Um, made it clear that he wants to get these guys signed early. Um, doesn't mean they're cheap, but as opposed to, as we saw with C.J. Mosley and, and Darius Smith just getting absolutely blown out of the water once they hit free agency or having to you know, use the, uh, the, the uh, uh, franchise tag, which creates an arbitrary higher number generally now. Granted, C.J. blew that thing away this year. Uh, I, I kind of wonder if they might have wanted to use the franchise tag on him after the fact. But, uh, you know, at the time, I didn't think it made much sense. But given the numbers he got, maybe it did after all. Well, it, it, I don't think it has given what is, what's happened to him injury-wise this year. Well, that's we true. Can, You're right about Let's that. go back right and forth that. on this. Going, going back to Humphrey, though, for a second. Humphrey's just completing his third year. The Ravens have already uh, taken the fifth-year option on him. Or if, or if they haven't, they will have to soon. It's before the fourth year you have to, you have to take the fifth-year option. They're certainly going to do that. Right, May of next year. Yeah, May of next year. So in the in his case, they really do have an extra year to wait on a contract. This is the earliest he can sign an, an extension of the contract is after this year. Correct. Okay, Correct. so still two years under contract. Right. Okay, in Chuck Clark's case, entering the fourth year, do you think any possibility he gets extended? You know, uh, that would be one of those guys that hopefully would you know maybe fit into that, that what the cost is looking to do. You know, Tavon Young, that one came out of nowhere, um, coming off of injury, unfortunately another injury, but uh, that one came out of nowhere and he got paid handsomely. You know, he was at that time the top of the market with slot, which usually is not what you're looking for when you're signing a guy earlier. 
but he certainly, when he was healthy and played, he, he obviously looked very good, and Clark is really only getting his chance now. So, you know, it's, it's one of those balancing act things. It's, it's great for the Ravens to go say, hey, we want, to sign, we want to sign you, but he and his agent might be saying, well, if I get the start next year, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit, on, and I, so I'm not going to box myself in with a lesser deal. So, uh, you know, I think those are the kind of the guys that, that Jacosta is going to look at getting, and you don't always get them, unfortunately. Right. Right. It is a mid-level signing, and it is one of those ones where, you know, maybe it's Clark at $6 million going forward or, or $5 million going forward that could, that could be a number if you really project him as your signal caller for a number of years. He, he does a tremendous thing for the Ravens, Brian. I don't know that you and I have talked about it, but I certainly talk about it plenty online in the articles. But by having him as a signal caller, it allows all sorts of flexibility for the quarter package to come in by being able to replace both inside linebackers. I think he's a tremendously valuable player, not only for his own personal versatility, where he can play the slot, play big nickel when they need him there, play either inside linebacker spot as needed, and play at strong safety. And he's played some free safety, actually, too, when Weddle's been out. Uh, his versatility is quite valuable, but even more valuable than his vers- personal versatility is that green dot. Oh, and I agree. And I think, you know, at the end of last year, I was one of those that was ready for Weddle to go. Um, and I'm not saying that was the wrong move, but I, one thing I did not um, pay enough attention to or maybe discounted too much was that, that dot and what he did as far as making sure everybody was in the right place and getting everybody, you know, the, getting the defense up. Because when, when he took over for CJ last year, it made a difference. And mm-hmm. obviously so far, it, you know, fingers crossed, it looks like uh, Clark taking over. Uh, from I guess Peanut had it before Clark or Jefferson did. I'm not sure. I don't remember who had Jefferson it briefly. Peanut before him. Right. So uh, it certainly looks like that's made a difference. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm, I've been very excited about it, and, and like I say, I'm really happy that it's at safety and not at uh, at linebacker. Humphrey, uh, uh, you know, obviously will get some discussion as the defensive player of the year. Don't know if he'll get it. Probably not. But uh, but he certainly has had an incredible year of turnover creation. And, uh, you know, at cornerback, that's not that common. He was already the team MVP, very unusually last year as a cornerback with 64%, I think, during the regular season of snaps played. Right. Just very, very unusual. Yeah, well, nobody, until Lamar came along halfway through the year, nobody on offense certainly did much. And you're looking at maybe Tucker again, but... (laughs) Yeah, I I understood that the Ravens PR department or whoever was making the decision... Uh, produced a ballot that did not include Justin Tucker for the team MVP. All right. Well, and, and, and perhaps they didn't want Sam Cook either to be the team MVP last right, year. I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Judon and Pierce, uh, UFAs at the end of the season, obviously. Uh, the Ravens will have to make some choices. And I think Judon, Pierce, and Peters, my own personal feeling, and I definitely want to get your opinion on this, the Ravens probably will only get one of those to stay because as much money as the Ravens have, it won't be enough for everybody. I think that's right. Um, I guess the big question is, what is Pierce worth on the market? Uh, is a is run stuffer? I mean, they're generally undervalued to an extent, um, but he certainly produced, even though he was out of weight and you know in camp and all of that. That's all uh, you know, uh, a distant memory at this point. Um, the P, as far as Peters goes, he to me seems like. If you have to have one, he would be the one. And I know we're only talking after one game, but given his history, um, given that until until Jalen Ramsey signs with the Rams, until they re-sign him, 
the, uh, the, the cornerback market has been undervalued right now. The top of the market, it has not seen a big jump. It will with Ramsey, and then obviously every other contract after that um, has to hit or come close to that or top that mark. So, um, so this would, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm sure they're not going to do it now, but soon enough, this would be a time to do that. Um, Judon, you know, Zadarius Smith's contract. I think they wanted to sign Judon last spring, and then, and just like they would, did with Tavon Young, I think that was part of the plan. And then Zedarius Smith's contract just blew him out of the water. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest, Zedarius Smith is playing like he's worth every cent of it now, I guess. I mean, he's having a very good year. But um, Judon's career before this has been better up to, the, you know, up to their fourth year uh, has been better. Um, so he's going to be – I think he's going to command uh, – he's one of those that is, even though they have that cap space, I think he's going to uh, – he's going to be priced out. Here's a philosophical point on this. Uh, I look at whatever you get for drafting a player, you have to get almost 100% of the return on that draft capital in the during the initial contract. Because after that, you pay market value for that player. Right. Now, there, there are some market frictions that help you keep that player in place, whether it's the, the fifth-year option, the transition or, or franchise tags, I mean, you have various ways to keep them in, in place and, and strong arm them into a, into a deal, at least signing a deal, not necessarily not a top of the market deal. But you, your cornerstone players, you might be able to keep an extra year. And that's why a player like Peters, I think, is really valuable to have, perhaps more so in terms of the market frictions, because of the fact that he probably deserves the franchise number. Yeah. And, and so you then have extra choices with him. Let's go back a few years, well, a couple of years only, to Ryan Jensen. Ryan Jensen, perfectly good center, but you know near the top and certainly deserved a, a, a close to top of the market contract. And I think he got number one when he got it. He did. But, but uh, you know, he was also a player where the, where the franchise tag was prohibitive at the right. time in terms of what they could have put into him. So if you're one notch below the top, you really, you just, you don't have that same value you know, of the player. Now that said, what they got Peters for, in terms of draft capital, was, by my calculations, between four and seven percent of what the Rams offered in draft capital for Ramsey. Now that's yeah. taking. You, you would agree with your approximate valuation on that? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think, uh, you know, the the diff. I mean, Ramsey's one of the top guys. Obviously, mm-hmm. Peters is you know, the next level, whatever you want to, however you want to do the tiers, maybe it's even two levels down. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of those, you know, Bishotti's famous quote about, you know, the 80%, 20%. Well, this is, I mean, when you compare them, um, I'll take Peters on the deal we got over Ramsey. Um, and, you know, it, obviously it depends on what happens from here, but I don't, I don't see the Ravens making any kind of trades where in that situation where they're looking at it solely as uh, eight game rental or 10 game rental, I guess at that point. Um, now that doesn't mean it won't turn out to be that because you just, you know, stuff happens and maybe Peters doesn't like it here or, you know, something like that. But I don't, even if for the fifth and, and Kenny Young for whatever value Kenny Young had at the point they traded, you know, um, he was devalued obviously, but I, I, you know, I think that's a move that, especially with Jimmy Smith being a free agent and being on the wrong side of 30 and injury, injury, injury history. 
um, uh, you know, and car, they cars, you know, we'll, we'll get the car and we'll I'll get to both of them. So maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but, uh, you know, car, car is um, only, you know, $7 million on the cap next year. Mm-hmm. He's very reliable. Um, you know, I, I love the, if, you, if you want to take Jimmy Smith and Peters and Carr, you, ideally, I think you want two of them back next year if you can get them. And to me, that's Peters and, and Carr, and obviously you let Smith walk. Right. That's where I am, too. And uh, let's continue on and we'll, we'll get to some right, of that. I, I kind of jumped the gun on Peter, so it's my fault for uh, for doing it first. But uh, I thought it fit in well. Let's go to the developmental category, because this is a, an area where the Ravens still have a fair number of developmental defensive players. And they always seem to have nine, 10 or 11 at any given time. It's just the quality of them is a little bit lower now than it has been pretty much at any time since I've been putting this chart together. So the guys I've got pegged in this category. Anthony Averett, second-year player. Tyus Bowser, still in his third year. Maurice Kennedy, he's in year five. The Ravens don't own any part of Maurice Kennedy's future at this point, so it's only a matter of what can he still do for them this year. Deshaun Elliott, who's been hurt for the second straight year. Jalen Ferguson, a rookie. Cyrus Jones, also in the last year of his rookie deal. Uh, Daylon Mack, a rookie. Iman Marshall, a rookie. Uh, Jihad Ward, I believe a third-year player, but Brian, you might know better. I think that's correct. Okay. Might might be a four. Yeah, he'll be an exclusive rights free agent next year. Oh, wow. Okay. So only a second year player this year. Um, let me check. Yeah. So yes. Um, okay. Yeah. I think he's only in a second year. Yes. All right. We definitely got him in the right category then. And then Chris Wormley, uh, third year player, uh, you know, signed a rookie, a four year deal as a, as a draftee. So I'm looking at that group and that group, you know, a couple of years ago, or last year even had Zadarius Smith in it before the right. season began, and then he broke out with a big year after not having such a great year. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, there's typically more talent in this group for the Ravens than there is right now. And I think there's some players here who are gonna who are gonna help. And I think there's at least one player in this group who probably will bust out, maybe two, to be in the in the young producer category. But it's not the greatest group that it's ever been. Do you want to start with anybody? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, from a team perspective, you you hope, I mean, I think, you know, Cyrus Jones is a kick returner. So, you know, I don't know that he he matters so much in this category. Uh, not that that's not important, but as far as a develop, the developmental player, I think he's he is what he is. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, and I think Canada is too. Uh, he might be a guy they re-signed for cheap. I don't think there's going to be a big market for him. He may, you know, he may feel his time is done here and he wants some other wants to go someplace else. Um, you hope that between uh, between Averett and Marshall, one of them hits. I, I, you can't count on both of them hitting, obviously. Um, you know, so and I mean, Elliot has has flashed, as you said, it's just a matter of injuries. And, you know, you wonder, is this the, you know, candidate went through all the injury history and, you know, um, and um uh, Tavon Young's gone through it, and Jimmy Smith went through it. So you hope Elliott doesn't sort of fit into that category where you saw a lot, you saw good play, but you never were able to see it, um, you know, for a sustained period, maybe. Um, so I, you know, I think, and you know, you got to hope Bowser. I mean, he's he's kind of your only remain. Well, he, well, actually, I guess Ferguson now, but you know, he they're going to need, especially if Judon leaves, they're going to need Bowser to step up big time. Right. I, I mean, I agree. I don't think Bowser is going anywhere next year, even if Judon is re-signed. And obviously, there's some there's some vitriol 
that's that's bubbling up between Harbaugh and him that he, he constantly makes not unclearly directed comments about Bowser play, you know, putting him in the same group as Williams in terms of not earning snaps and whatnot. Um, Bowser is a Sam linebacker. They're hard to find. Guys right. who can actually cover are hard to find. When you can, when you have two of them and you can play them on opposite sides in the pass rush, it gives you a lot more flexibility. Yep. And, and it would really be a shame if the Ravens could not make a player out of Tyus Bowser. He certainly is going to get a lot of snaps down the stretch here. When the Ravens have the race car package, which seems to be now their preferred method these last couple of games of rushing the quarterback, they're going to want Tyus Bowser at on the outside, standing up, rushing the quarterback. With some of these other big guys now, whether it's um, uh, the new guy they got from the Patriots, uh, uh, Kamalo, Kamalo. uh, or whether it is uh, Ferguson will probably be on the inside. There's no more McPhee anymore, and that means that, that Ward will be on the inside, even though he, he generally plays standing up when he plays on earlier downs. Right. So that race car package, I expect to be their their MO the rest of the season. And if they're doing that, then we're going to see a lot of Bowser in, in pass rush situations where he's getting an opportunity to, to, to get some good pass rush snaps. Yeah, we just, you just got to hope that he's the next, uh, you know, next line of going back to McPhee and, and then uh, – uh, and then Zadarius and now Judon, you just hope, I mean, they all, you know, I mean, I guess McPhee was pretty solid all of his years, but they yes. all have dipped, you know, in their the sophomore or junior year, so to speak, of, of, of uh, their pro career. And hopefully, you know, um, Bowser kind of had his early, so hopefully he's turned the corner. Yeah, McPhee was a special cat when he was here with the, with the Ravens the first time. Always had that real explosive first step, always – was doing something for other outside pass rushers when he was doing that on the inside and eating up double teams. So uh, I, I wouldn't put Bowser in McPhee's class because he can't do can't do those things, but he can do other things. He can cover and he can he can do some of the things that allow you to blitz a safety instead. He he provides real zone blitz opportunities for this team when he's lined up at the line of scrimmage. So there, there's things he does for you that uh, you know that other players can't do. So. It's not like I don't appreciate him. I do. I, 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 he's he's one of the guys I'm still very much hoping. Josh has still has a Bowser jersey. He's hoping will uh, will pan out for him in terms of collectible value. He, yeah, he's yeah. Say anything about it. Yeah, I mean it's it's there. It's it's. I've moved on to the Lamar Jackson jersey. There you go. Yeah, good for you, Maurice Kennedy. With three straight games, I thought he played very well this year, and that was before the injury game against the Bengals when Auden Tate kind of. Not only did he did he kind of beat him, but he also made some really good hands catches that accentuated some of the problems that that he had, and he also got beat a couple times by Erickson in that game. Uh, but but I'm I'm still kind of high on Kennedy, and I'm, I'm I'd be interested to hear what you think his market value might be after this year. Do you think he signs somewhere two years, four million, two years, seven and a half million? Where would you guess he ends up? Um, I would say probably between those two i'm just gonna guess um obviously the injury history is is big with him so i don't think anybody's gonna throw a lot of guaranteed money at him or any kind of big signing bonus uh you know that two and a half to three and a half million year kind of range um trying to think they you know they, they haven't really brought anybody in like that in a while um Corey graham Corey Graham has been a while now. Levine sort of fits that maybe sort of category. Different players, I know, but um, that that kind of guy that you're not, you're not sure. He, you know, he's great depth, 
um, if you need him for a game or two, but you're not you're not sure you want him out there for you know 16 straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I think that's probably I think it's probably in that two and a half to three and a half per year range. Okay, all right. I, I think a team with cap like the Ravens, who's not using up a, uh, a compensatory slot with that that thing, there could be real value there, and that it could help the Ravens in outbidding other teams for him if there's. Let's say if half the teams are trying to compete for the compensatory formula, and that might be might be reasonable. It might be more than that, but if half the teams are trying to compete for it, and the Ravens don't have to worry about accounting against their column, right? Then, the they, then they're a, of, right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. When we for once we have cap space next year, so if mm-hmm. we have to spend an extra five hundred grand a year, it's not you know it's not the end of the we're not pinching pennies the way we have over the last few years. Right, and it's it's five hundred more than you know than may, we maybe thought about spending in the past on a player like this, but it's also five hundred less than the other team has to spend to get him. Because, right. Yeah. All right. So anyway, I, I'm uh, uh, I, I'm excited about that. Let's let's go move on to the next category here. We kind of want to make make our way through these and and the, the developmental group. Anybody else? Anybody? You have anything to say about otherwise? Jihad Ward, you have any idea how he might fit in in the? In the... Uh, yeah, it's, it's too soon there to say. And and I was wrong. He is. Uh, he should be a restricted free agent next year, okay. or he might even be. He, he's bounced around so much. Um, he may even be a, a UFA next year. Um, actually, probably after this year, because he'll have enough time this year. So he'll probably be a UFA next year. All right. All right. Well, again, he's a player that the Ravens may be of more value to the Ravens. And a player like this, at the minimum, if they like him, they should be able to bid him into the compensatory category. So if you say, hey, we'll give you $1.82 million per year, that puts that guy at the bottom end of the compensatory capital. So at least he's a chit in the game. Right. Absolutely. And so it can, it can at least do that. Anyway, Ward, I think, has been has been good enough in his time here that it's not only has it has is he a potential value in the future, but he's also emboldened them to take a chance on Kamalu and and uh, right. uh, uh, you know think that their judgment is good and that they've they've picked up a guy who can play both positions also again. Yeah, I'm interested to see him because he ha- he has had some um, some snaps um, in the not not in the past year, but two years ago, um, and you know I mean. The, the Patriots generally aren't going to carry a guy who's useless, <laughs> you know, so and it's kind of nice to tweak and grab somebody from them every once in a while, too, like that. Yeah, they certainly burned us enough on special teams player with Bethel and Patrick Burgess in the past and, uh, you know, whatnot. It is good to get them once. Oh, I, think, yeah, I think they got a good value. For, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying definitely it's nice to, you know, it will be interesting to see. Um I I had heard that the Costa was pretty high on him, and um, so that that's always a good sign too. So you know, so and they obviously need pass rushers. So we'll see what happens there. All right, all right. We've got another interesting group of players here. The veterans playing for market value currently nine guys on the defense, which is a lot. And the Ravens are actually, I think, fortunate that nine of their eleven players are not that are playing on veteran contracts effectively are not cap value concerns, which I think is, I think that's really good. I mean, you could have, if you have that many, you typically will have more, but a couple of players kind of fit in the same category, Josh Bynes and LJ Fort, they picked up, they're, they're certainly free agents, but they're only making league minimum as far as I know. Right. And, yeah. and they're, uh, they're certainly value uh, pickups there. 
these guys are both going to be free agents at the end of the year. And another opportunity for the Ravens to kind of pick and choose among guys, still win the comp game, and, and you know, probably have some value there for next year. They've resurrected Josh Bynes' career. He looked completely different than every other inside linebacker we saw this year in terms of the ability to play a ball behind him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and Ford has certainly been all over the field, too. So, um, you know, and, you know, it's going to depend because Peanut's also a free agent. So uh, you've got all three of those and you can, uh, you know, you can pick and choose. I'm not sure any of them are going to be terribly expensive, certainly not Bynes, uh, just given his age. Ford's younger and, um, you know, he, he was with the Steelers and, and the Eagles. And so maybe... Maybe there's a little bit of a market for him the way he's playing, and I guess we'll see what happens over the next uh, your next few weeks with Peanut. I, I know you have him on kind of the the trash heap pile, so down here. Um, so I'm, I'll be curious to see what happens with him because I'm, I'm not sure if he belongs there or not. You know, certainly the way he's played this year so far, he does. But the way he played at the end of last year. You know, we were thinking big things, and he was a guy, you know, in the spring we were talking about he needs to be extended. And, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what, you know, how they play him and how they work all three of the linebackers and see what happens from here on out. All right. Well, here's the issue I have with Peanut since you brought him up. We may as well talk about him here with Fort and Bynes because this is where it really makes sense. Fort and Bynes each can play the mic position. Okay. Right. But there's too much coverage responsibility for Peanut to handle it at the mic. So he, for starters, no way in hell should he have the green dot because it has to be somebody you can substitute and get him off the field in passing situations. Right. So the old role they had for Danelle Ellerby was to play McLean on first down and bring in Ellerby on second and long when he was more of a pass rush threat. Right. And then have a dime that they would bring in on third down. So they could do that again. Um, you know, they, Certainly, Peanut made his life as a as a, made his career as a will linebacker in 2018. Great year, uh, did it in 42 percent of the snaps. Right. I want to see what Martindale can do for him by putting him back in that kind of workload where he's not responsible for any passing downs, and maybe there's even another run stopper he's in there with because he's he's not the biggest guy, yeah. and but you have him in opportunities where he can he can do the things he did well, which is play downhill and create situational, situational pass rush opportunities both for himself and for other players by, by being the pick. Right. So, uh, I, I like him in that role. I just I don't know if he's going to be willing to step back into that role with all it means economically for the rest of his career. Because right. I, I, I don't think he's ever destined, here in Baltimore at least, to ever be the Mike again. There may be another team willing to give him a chance at that, maybe even another team that will make him the signal caller in the future. But I think I think that opportunity is passed. I think it's time for for uh, you know Peanut and his agent to kind of take stock of where they are and decide what do you want to try and make out of your career and probably not take too big a bite of the apple on the next contract. In some ways, it'll be his only chance to make a really big contract. But in other ways, if he takes a role that's too big for him, he could be gone pretty quickly from his next job, and that might be the end. That's true. Yeah, yeah, we've certainly seen that happen with other guys who left here. Who- you know, they had that one good year and they got the big money, but then they were gone pretty shortly thereafter. There you go. There you go. Okay, well, let's, let's look at some of the other players in this category. You mentioned uh, Brandon Carr earlier. He's a guy clearly earning his contract, and, and you've effused on him already, so I'm going to do it as well. 
one of the best free agent contracts in Ravens history is set up as a series of four one-year options. And by the way, I'm stealing all my material from you. That's who I basically learned this from. But, uh, you know, he's got one year left. I, what is his actual salary next year? Six, six and a half? It's, it's six. It's, uh, he's got a roster bonus. And then uh, I think it's, it's $1.5 million roster bonus and uh, um, $4.5 million salary, if I remember correctly. And um, so his, his cap number is actually only seven um so he, so if they get if they were to get rid of him it's six million in cap savings which is mm-hmm. nothing to sneeze at but um and obviously a lot of it depends on what they think with I mean, you get you know where they're going to get peter signed what you know what they is, is tavon young going to be i mean it was a neck injury so you always worry about those is, you know, do they feel confident in his recovery um you know now car next year you know it may be a more of a if Young is healthy and Peters is back, it may be uh, more of a reduced role. Um, but he's, what's he, 33, 32? Mm-hmm. He's up there now. So, you know, that may, you know, and making six million, he might not get six million from anybody else. So, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, as far as the reduced role, it may be worth it for him too. And that may, you know, save him for another year or two of, of being able to play. Yeah, I mean, being a guy who can play the slot as Carr has filled in, you know, in both in 2018 and some in 2019 in terms of slot play is is very valuable for him because the Ravens with Tavon Young in his situation are probably going to need to draft a slot corner or try and figure out how they can pick up a veteran slot corner. So it's always easier if you have one already on the roster under reasonable contract terms who can also play the outside. And let's face it, he's been the North Star of the defense in terms of his ability to stay on the field and uh, and provide snaps again. I forget, it's about 93% of the snaps he's played this year uh, when everybody is missing snaps. Right. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, he's, I mean, that, yeah, as we see with Jimmy Smith, I mean, wouldn't you like to have Jimmy Smith that, with that for that many snaps all over his career? Yes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he could be, I mean, you know, he, be, he'd probably been an All-Pro a couple times, and you know he's a then he's a Ring of Honor guy for the Ravens. If you know if he could if he could have put those kind of uh, uh, numbers of snaps in at the level of play, he you know his abilities. Yes, yeah, absolutely agree. Um, you know another guy who's an interesting case for next year is Pernell McPhee in terms of what they do with him, a, a guy who. I think has significant value to the Ravens. He, he showed me more than what I expected this year, not only in terms of snaps, because they overplayed him. And frankly, in the six and change games he did play, he played approximately the number of snaps I would have expected him to play in the whole, whole season, right around 15 per game. And uh, you, you explode that at over 16 games, it's 240. And, and in terms of excluding penalties, I believe that's what he played for the Ravens this year. So it's not wholly unexpected that this would happen to Purnell in this way. Uh, they needed to use him very carefully. They they obviously played him a little bit more than they than they had a right to expect him to avoid injury during. And sure enough, yeah. And you know, I think he's he's another one of those guys that you kind of put in the category with Bynes and Fort. You know, I think he's a guy they'll want back. He's a guy that they're, you know, is not going to break the bank anywhere. They can probably set a number on that's a little higher than other teams would, because as you said, teams aren't going to want to um, overpay or get themselves stuck in the comp pick game um, for a guy like that. So it's mm-hmm. quote unquote. And, you know, so especially early on, he might be a guy that's going to sit out there for a while 
um, you know, some till after May, you know, the second week of May when the, the, the uh, comp pick formula turns off. Uh, but they might be a guy that the Ravens can say, look, you know, we'll, we'll give you X. Maybe you'll get a little more after May, but we're going to give you the security of, you know, where you're going to be next year. And you're going to, you know, with, with McPhee rehabbing and things like that. So, and he just strikes me as the kind of guy that was happy to be back in Baltimore. And, and, you know, that may, that may go a long way for him too. Yeah. I, I hope you're right about that. Uh, you know, I, I, Bynes is a returnee to Baltimore Fort is a NFL wanderer in terms of playing eight years in the league, but never, never uh, really getting very many snaps out half a season of snaps, his whole career he's got defensively. So uh, that isn't much, right? Uh, but, but anyway, maybe Ford is a, is a guy who appreciates the, the chance he got here this year. And uh, you know, certainly is playing very well right now. And uh, other teams I'm sure are looking there, there, there will be competition. I kind of forgotten. I always do about the, about the, you can't, you can't give them a crappy offer that'll last for a long time, but at some point they'll they'll say, you know, they, they are available on the market without the loss of a comp pick. And, right, and that certainly yeah. uh, certainly could happen. We talked about Marcus Peters already a little bit uh, earlier. Earl Thomas is not going anywhere. Neither is Brandon Williams this next year. I, I, am I correct in that? In terms of Brandon Williams, is there any is there any jagged edged pill that the? No, I mean not really. And I, you know, I. I personally, I've always felt that the Ravens front office is, it likes Brandon Williams a lot more than a lot of Ravens fans do. Um, I know they give, a, I know there's a lot, you know, there's always a lot of grief about his contract. The thing about his contract is it was not a terrible contract at the beginning when he first signed it. Restructuring it three times makes it looking like an ugly contract. And that's why they, to be honest with you, can't really get rid of him. Um, so, um, you know, next year, uh, you know, they, they would say, I mean, they can, you know, there's, there's over 4 million in cap savings if they release them, which isn't bad, but there's 10 million in dead money. So I, I just don't see that. I think he's here for one more year and then they figure out from there where, you know, in 21, once we have a, you know, we have a new, uh, CBA and things like that, and we'll see where the cap goes with the new CBA, they can decide whether he's, you know, too expensive at that point for his value uh, or, you know, and at that point, then it's a lot easier to get rid of him if they need to. All right. And in terms of the dead money, let's just talk about that for a second. I, I look at it maybe a little bit differently than you do, and I'm sure your way is, is basically correct, at least on some level. I look at dead money as money you've already spent. So effectively, whether Brandon Williams plays here or not, he's dead money in that sense. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's so, exactly what it is. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, I, I'm not as, I don't get as uh, bothered, so to speak, as some people when we talk about dead money, because it, it is what it is. It's, it's um, whether he's here, I mean, if he's here, that's part of his cap number. If he's not here, it's dead money. So even, even when I said, you know, I mean, you know, we, we are looking at uh, 10 million in dead money, but you say four, well, if you need the four and you don't want him around anymore, Mm-hmm. And you're going to do it. And that, I mean, that's kind of what happened with Flacco. What they said, they saved, saved 10 or 11 million. Um, but, you know, they, they took on 16 million in dead money. Well, it's time to go. I mean, it is, it, it is what it is. Um, you're still, if you're still now, I mean, obviously if you're cutting somebody and he's costing you more than his cap number would be in dead money, which was, which is what would happen with Brandon this year, then obviously you're not going to do that unless it's an extreme circumstance. Um, you know, 
and, uh, Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh, you know, things like sure. that. But um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't get as worked up about it. I mean, you know, they've had their years that have been very big, but they've also had their years that aren't so big. And I think people forget about that as well. So it all, it balances out in, you know, big contracts at some point. And especially if you restructure them, you're going to, I mean, Williams deal was actually a very flat deal in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of deal though, does allow you to restructure it if you need to. And thankfully next year, and hopefully uh, at least for the next couple of years until Lamar starts hitting the big money, uh, they're going to be in a position to be able to uh, not have to worry about those kind of things. And if they need to cut somebody they can, but if they don't need to, they won't need to restructure unless they have to. But yeah, they're doing a little bit of restructuring as we saw yesterday to get Willie Sneed and get a few extra dollars. Can you, can you explain like what's going on with a move like that? Well, yeah, it's, um, and we haven't seen the numbers yet, so I don't know exactly what happened, but um, he, he had a bunch of incentives um, that he earned last year that on the first year of his deal were what we call not likely to be earned um, so because he hadn't achieved those numbers the year before. Well, he did achieve those numbers last year. He earned those incentives, so they count against the cap. If he, do, if he didn't, and it doesn't look like he's going to earn those this year because he'd have to top last year's numbers. And so far, I don't, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. So the, that was essentially dead money on this year's cap because they couldn't use it, and it was just it was wasted money. They would get that as a credit next year if he didn't earn those. But next year, that doesn't do us any good. So what the, what, essentially what they've done is flip-flop that money. So my guess is they dropped the incentives. It was $2.2 million, and that's going to be part of his salary next year because the, the, the report is it was, it was $6 million extension fully guaranteed. Mm -hmm. So they basically are saying, we need this cap relief here, and we'll give that to you on the back end, and we'll guarantee it to you, that part of, you know, as part of your money next year. And I'm assuming they dropped. He had a $3 million salary. I'm assuming they dropped that down to the minimum. That creates another million. They probably created about two to three million. And at this point, that's just it. You know, if they had the right move, then that money was there. If not, um, you know, they they are down to one point four after Peters took up a bulk of their uh, almost six million when they made that trade. So all of their extra cap space is, is deteriorated. Then we added a couple more guys on uh, IR recently, and that eats into it as well because you're replacing those guys. Mm -hmm. The guys you replace count against with them with count against the cap. So, um, so they needed this for a little bit of breathing room. I don't think they'll need to restructure anybody unless they get really get hit with a bunch of injuries from here. And you know whatever's left over, they roll that under the under the cap next year. So, you know that kind of helps offset the extra money that they've just put out for Snead, for or that they've you know given him for next year. So, and right now they're you know they've got 60 million in cap space. That's going to go down some. They, you know, that's only with 37 or 38 players under contract. So they got to build the roster up, and that's you know they've got a lot of free agents this year, which helps them in the comp pick formula, which they like so much. Because as we've been talking about, some of these guys will probably qualify. They're not going to be anything major, but that allows you also to go out and sign guys and offset those signings. Yeah, pretty pretty good chance in 2021 the Ravens will be a plus four, won't they? I would think so with 17, yeah, with 17 guys and they're, they're pretty, you know, there's some, there's some names on there, your Judons, your Pierce's, um, and the guys we've talked about already, you know, Fort and maybe McPhee, some of these guys, obviously we, you know, we expect them to resign, but these are guys that, you know, that are going to 
that are, you know, only 17 of them, some of them are going, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you got to expect that. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think there's a pretty good chance that's going to happen unless they use up all that cap space to, to resign all these guys. I, I take quite a bit of crap on Twitter for valuing comp picks above players, blah, 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 blah. I, I, I don't even remember the rest of it because it was so silly. But anyway, the, the point I'm making is that um, the thing the Ravens have gotten into the habit of doing is by drafting well, and you can point to years of it wasn't that good and they drafted Matty Elam, but generally speaking, they've drafted well, well above average for the NFL. And they get to those fourth year of these deals, and they're in a position where they can pick and choose which are their cornerstone players. A lot of teams don't have a choice of cornerstone players. They got one guy coming up in his free agency deal. He's on their team. They want to re-sign him. Their fans need to have him re-sign him. The Ravens, they're forced to pick two out of three, or they're forced to pick uh, one out of two or whatever. It's a much better position to be in than these other teams are in. And, And yes, we're frustrated. We lose players. We get comp picks in return. It doesn't seem fair. We drafted those guys, damn it. But that's the, that's the nature of the NFL and the way the cap keeps parity in this league. And the Ravens are on the good side of that stick. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the outside linebacker position, you lose Adelius Thomas, you get a comp pick. You lose McPhee, you get a comp pick. You lose Kruger, you get a comp pick. Um, Zedarius Smith, essentially getting a comp pick. Whether you pick he or Mosley, you know, I mean, so Zedarius got technically, uh, but he, by losing Zedarius, you're allowed, you, you can sign Earl Thomas and it doesn't, it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt you so much on the comp pick. So, so, you know, and now, you know, um, hopefully Bowser's the next because if I, we, maybe we don't want him to leave, but hopefully if he does leave, he's leaving for a big contract and that helps us out down the road. So, and that's where, as you said, drafting is so key because you have that pipeline. And the next, it's the next man up. And, you know, some positions we haven't had that, but certainly a lot of the defensive positions, whether it's defensive line or, or outside linebacker, or even inside linebacker with, with Bart Scott and, and, and Bynes at one point and, yeah. and Ellerby. Um, it's weird. Yeah. Inside linebacker, they've done almost exclusively with UDFAs with the, yeah. with the exception of Mosley and Lewis. It's been, you know, five, six good UDFA inside linebackers they've gotten over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other one, the other one was Hartwell, and they, you know, they actually would have had a third round comp pick for him, except he only played a couple games because he got hurt. And I, actually, I think that pretty that both he and Baxter that same year they lost, and they both got hurt, and pretty much their careers were over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got they got nice though. They got a third and a fourth round comp pick out of them. Yeah, very very solid. All right, let's see. Anybody we haven't talked about yet? I think that's everybody. Tavon Young was the last veteran playing for market value. I didn't put him in the cap value concern. Maybe he should be because of the injuries, but at this point I'm going to leave him there. He's at 10 million a year. He's a reasonable price for an important position and a, and a very good player at that position. But there is a concern that he won't come back at the same level. Well, absolutely. And, but for this next year, I mean, they got to let that play out, obviously. Um, Hopefully next year he doesn't move down to that category. Uh, they can't really do anything with them this year anyway because of the, the brand new contract. But uh, not that they would, but um, and obviously got plenty of cap space to figure it out. But uh, hopefully uh, he stays in that category. Um, and or, and then you know we hope certainly hope some of the, those you know the younger guys step forward too because um, we again we want that pipeline. So if we have to get rid of somebody or we lose somebody, we've got the 
the next man up who can step right in. All right, two guys I have in the veteran cap value concern category, and they're both highly played and paid, and you know who they are. Jimmy Smith is number one. He's a UFA at the end of the series season. I can't, in my mind, construct circumstances where he'd be back given the investment the Ravens have in the secondary. It's nothing, it'd be nothing punitive relative to what Jimmy Smith has done for the Ravens. It just is a matter of how much money they already have in the secondary and the likelihood that they'd probably want Peters over Smith if you had the choice. Yeah, and I mean, I think they're obviously going to make – that's the choice I would make. I mean, you're going much younger, and um, and Peters doesn't have – I mean, the injury history with Smith is just the thing, uh, you know, and he's older, you know, so he's a year older next year now. Uh, he's not going to command $10 million a year like this deal. Um, and, of course, this deal was old, so that was really top of the market back in the day. But – I, I can't see him being around, but you know if 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 he's hang if he's out there in June or something and nobody's giving him any money, you know I mean you could always possibly see. I, I think if if they bring Peter if they sign resign Peters and they don't cut Carr, then I don't think there's any. I mean I'm not sure why. Then you got to let the young guys, you know, move up into those roles and maybe it's a guy like Canada you spend less on and. And you know, and keep him around because he's younger and and more versatile as far as special teams and things like that. That's the other thing: is do you want your fourth or fifth corner not playing special teams? It, it is a question with great. their with their injuries at corner. You know, my answer to that might be, yeah, you might not. I mean, yeah. they've had injuries at safety this year too. It's just been. I know it tends to be those positions populate your special teams. You know, in a lot of ways, and they went light on inside linebackers this year. Only carried three out of camp that immediately puts more injury risk and injury burden on your yep. secondary members who are playing special teams. And to lose three safeties in one year the way they have, just, boy, it, it kills your quarter package. And, uh, you know, they're going to go back, and I maybe we'll see Bennett in that role now. Uh, they played a quarter with Averett as a, as a fourth corner in the quarter. Uh, but, but boy, they, they really had something. It looked like it was really working. This is something they want to do more of. And out both of the things, the race car package doesn't have McPhee anymore. And the quarter package doesn't have the fourth safety. And any of those guys, I'm, I'm not even wondering, is Brendan Trawick a potential to bring back from IR? Because they've got a second designation. I don't know how serious his injury is or if he's, if he's now well, alive. I, well, they haven't. Have they, have they designated Marshall to come back? Did yeah. they make that decision? Okay, I missed that. Yeah, it just, uh, it just happened either today or yesterday. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so, well, yeah, I mean, so Trawick has to sit out eight weeks. And we're at the point of the season, unless you're planning on bringing somebody back for the playoffs, you don't really need to hold that second one because, you know, there's only, you know, I mean, you've only got 10 more weeks. Um, well, actually, I guess it's nine now. Um, or am I, did I miss a week in there? The bye week has me messed up. Nine uh, weeks. Nine weeks remaining. Yeah. So, I mean, there are, there are only, I mean, eight weeks to bring back for the regular season. You don't really necessarily need to save it. And of course it depends on where, you know, where Trowick is. And you don't have to make that decision at this point anyway. But right. um so but by the time that decision comes up, you're probably gonna be pretty certain you're not gonna need anybody else. Yeah, I, I don't think there is another player that's there. I mean, if it would be, it would have been like a last year a running back. They had a bunch of running backs they put onto IR that might have had right. two and four. Well the only injuries. thing would be if something happens to somebody this weekend, you know. And yeah. They can bring with like they did with Ray, bring him back for the playoffs. But by the time I think they're going to have to make a decision on Trowick, it'll be it'll be pretty clear on 
who they can bring back and whether it matters anymore or not. So, so if he's, if he's, if they're able to bring him back, uh, especially with, with Beth, uh, with Beth El gone, you know, I mean, I think that, that, that could be, that could certainly be a move. Yeah. He's, he certainly has the special teams value. The other thing that I'm really liking about him is that he had experience in the dime in preseason and looked right. okay there. And I'd really love to see him come back in that diamond quarter package. And he won't be in the dime because that's Levine's role, but he will be in the quarter and then also playing special teams that could have an enhanced value down the stretch. And the Ravens seem like they want to go with that. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, okay. So the other guy besides Jimmy Smith, who I think we've now talked enough about is, is uh, uh, Tony Jefferson. Now his situation is a sad one because obviously he's coming up on the fourth year of his, of his deal. That's the wrong time to have a new competitor at your position come into play and get hurt. Yep. <laughs> Not optimal. Um, you know, obviously he, there were questions about his play this year. I like a lot of the things he's done, but there have been zone coverage mistakes that have been between him and Humphrey and, uh, Jefferson, frankly, has always been a weak guy on the back end. So he hasn't really been optimal to have at a strong safety role, the way they play it in Baltimore. So there are lots of ways in which Tony Jefferson is terrific. He's a huge value in the run game. Uh, He can cover a tight end if the Ravens really use him that way, but they don't really use him to cover a tight end man-to-man the way he did in Arizona. Uh, So so it really comes down to can can your strong safety play the back end when he needs to play the back end because it's an important responsibility, and that's where Tony is just not quite as good as the other safeties on this roster, and, and, and specifically Clark, who he's competing with. Yeah, I mean, at this point, um, obviously, you know, they don't have to make any decisions today, and it's going to depend on how Clark looks over the next few weeks. But I certainly think um, he's, his, his roster position is in, is in peril. Um, $7 million in cap savings. They don't necessarily need it, but, at, you know, you don't want to pay him. I think his salary is $9 million or $7 million. That's right, because it, it comes down. His cap number is mm-hmm. up there. Um so, you know, that's, that's certainly something that, I mean, at this point, uh, you know, if there's one guy they're cutting, it's him. Now, they don't need to cut him for cap space, but so I think, obviously, you know, when Clark, it's going to depend on how Clark does. I mean, if Clark looks, you know, if Clark looks like the real deal in that position, then I, 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 don't, I think it's a no-brainer at that point. I need to challenge you on one point of terminology here and it's the, the notion that you don't need those cap dollars cap dollars are fungible from year to year so right. so the, the the ravens and fungible i'm sorry it means you can spend that do- dollar next year you can spend it the year after you can spend it the year after that in essence right. and you can do it by means of actually spending it that year or pushing dollars forward through restructures or whatever you have to do to to use money so my, my point is $7 million is $7 million is $7 million. And it doesn't matter if it is 2020 when the Ravens need those dollars. That might put extra impetus on wanting to make the cut, but it doesn't mean you wastefully spend $7 million in 2020 if you don't think you're going to get value from it. If you don't think you're going to get value from it, even if you have $60 million to spend, you don't do it. Well, no, I agree. And there's, there's also a lot of fans, we always, always talk about cap numbers and cap dollars. But also, you don't think about the cash amount. Mm-hmm. You don't pay. A, I mean, you know, if Clark's going to be the starter. You're not paying your back. You're not paying seven a seven million dollar salary to your backup. Um, you know, I mean, so that. So I, you know, I agree with you. I probably didn't say it the right way, but I agree with you that you know that that's a number that 
is probably too much. Now, could could he take a pay cut and stay around? Maybe, but I don't. Jefferson doesn't also strike me. If if, if Clark's going to be the starter, I don't see right. Jefferson wanting to come back. You know, I think he's going to be like, hey, cut me. I'll go see if I can find my seven million somewhere else or as close to it as possible. Well, he's still young enough. I mean, the 28, I guess, maybe 29. Um, so I mean, he's still young enough for a safety to go out there and get another deal. Yeah, I think I do think there'll be takers on Tony Jefferson. He brings a lot to a defense, and it's it's just an unfortunate situation for him that he's injured when there's a competitor emerging who's good. Right. Uh, and who knows? Maybe they get it. Maybe somebody will give him a six round pick for him. You know, somebody willing to take on that last year of the deal, not have to give up a lot, but you know, any little. But for the Ravens, we'll take a draft pick, and you know, and get something out of it. That's that's a good point because it it is a it is a a reasonable contract in that last year. It's not a, it's not inflationary. It's just a matter of he then gets a $6 million or whatever it is, prove it deal uh, with that new team. Absolutely. Would the Ravens be responsible for, for any portion of that 7 million, like the one and a half or anything, or what does that roster bonus do? No, well, the, 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 the seven is his salary. Uh, so there's still about four, four and a, a little over four and a half in dead money. That's going to, whether, whether he's here, that counts, whether he's not, that counts whether it's trade or release mm-hmm. so the cap number is actually 11 uh, over 11 about 11 and a half uh, or a little over actually 11.6 so um, the 4.6 is here no matter what it's lost yes if this is last year of his deal the whole seven is is the is the is the cap credit they would get if he's not here for be it trade or release doesn't matter okay all right. So, but the, also the important part: the new team will have to pay seven. They take the seven. We just still keep the dead money, which is the money from the bonuses he got, his original signing bonus, and then the restructure bonuses. And that's another reason his deal doesn't look so great anymore, too, is because they how many times they've restructured it. That's okay. Tony Jefferson has provided the Ravens a lot of value in his three years here. I'm I'm uh, I'm still happy they made the original signings, and hopefully they'll decide and and deal with this contract as economically as they can going forward. Yeah. All right, I want to go over the transitional category because it's got nine players in it, which is extraordinary for the defense to have nine players. But it's at this point, I do this do this thing twice per year. We do it at the beginning of camp, and then we do it again on the bye week. And by the bye week, you have a number of guys on IR, some of them who never were going to ever make the team, like Fish Smithson right. uh, is still in this transitional category, and others who did make the team but but aren't really in the long-term plans anyway and are now on IR or they're just not in the long-term plans. So the nine guys I have in the transitional category, Otara Alaka, Chris Board, Bennett Jackson, Ufambo Kamalu, uh, Patrick Owasso, Jordan Richards, Zach Sealer, Fish Smithson, and Brendan Trawick. There's always somebody who comes out of this group, or there isn't always somebody, but there's usually somebody who comes out of this group and will still produce for the team. But it's just not obvious who, who it will be out of this group for the Ravens this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, because it always seems to be, and you mentioned it earlier, it always seems to be an undrafted free agent at inside linebacker. So I would say that maybe one of those three on that list become the one. Um, I think, you know, Bennett Jackson's older and, uh, you know, maybe he could be a core special teams guy. Uh, Richards, uh, I, that's, I, that seems to be his role. Um, you know, Siler every once in a while shows some uh, shows something, but it, it starts not sustained. And then, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, Kamalu, um, you know, uh, it'd be nice to see that be the guy because it's outside linebacker and that, that could be, uh, that could really be something, but, uh, you know, you can't, I don't think we can expect it for sure. No, they, they, they probably would have picked up Afambo uh, the first time they had a chance to get him because, I mean, he's on the Patriots practice squad, I assume, this entire time, and, and they instead got Jihad Ward. Right. So they, he was their second choice in a way, and, uh, you know, I think that I hope he can be as successful as Ward was, but that's, that's really grasping for the stars. It's a, it's a, it's a, that's a big stretch goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, good. I did. I did want to mention Zach Sealer is a guy that I really loved coming out of camp in 2018. He he'd been was reported to be the strongest Raven as a rookie, which is very unusual. I haven't really seen that kind of physical style in his play, but he is a guy that I wondered in their incredible shortage at outside linebacker if they had a a, a defensive lineman who could move to the edge and play there. I thought it would have been Sealer. Not end up they picked up Ward, who's a similar guy, tall guy, long arms. Uh, you know, heavier guy than they're used to having at that position. I think Ward is 285. Uh, you know, Sealer would have been similar there. And maybe that would have been a place for him to, to, to step up and shine, is play a little edge instead of five tech. The Ravens, frankly, don't play defensive linemen that much, period, anymore. They've only played, uh, you know, the fewest snaps ever for defensive linemen for the year in terms of per snap. And last year they were at 1.9. I think it's about 1.76 or something this year. Um, they're playing. So defensive line play is coming down, which means you almost always have the nickel or more on the field. You never have your base defense on. If you're a five tech, I'd be looking for other ways to, to, to make a living. And, and if that means moving to the edge and trying to do that, that'd be great. If it means being a pass rush specialist, I'd do everything I could to figure that out as well too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and they've always had that versatility where they go back and forth, but uh, so it'll be nice to see that because obviously any bit any way they can find pass rush is uh, is much needed. Yeah, uh, Brian, I can't tell you how much we've enjoyed having you on here. We want to see if we've got any mailbag questions, particularly ones that involve the cap, because you're going to be much more qualified to answer them than I am. All right, we've got one uh, mailbag question that we're going to go with, and it's a simple one for you. Uh, DaCosta and the Ravens for years have always been praised on how they handle their players and the cap and everything. How do the Ravens really do compared to other teams? Have you had time to even look and monitor what other teams do? I mean, as far as how they handle the cap? Right. If they, if, uh, if, you know, one thing, I mean, you, we, as Ravens fans, we can't complain about the fact that they've always spent to the cap. Um, they're not the Bengals. They're not out there trying to save money. Um, there are other teams that, that are that way too. Um, one of the biggest, the biggest problems over the last couple of years have been the restructures. Um, and that actually all goes back. I mean, I can go back to the purge of when I started this, the purge in 2002. Um, they had a very clean cap from 2002 till 2011. And that was that uncapped year. Um, and the next year with the new CBA that, 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 that's about to expire now, that dropped the cap about $10 million. I mean, the, the owners won that, won that. I mean, it was a resounding victory. They, they canceled out the old uh, CBA and jumped with the, into the new CBA and basically said, we're taking charge of, of the money and 
the players, even though the cap has gone up 10 million a year, give or take, um, obviously that's declining. If it goes up 10 million each year, it's a declining number. Um, and people don't realize, oh, it's going up 10 million every year. Well, that's not exactly the same because that percentage every year goes down. Right, I'm sorry, explain that, please. I, I, the 10, 10 million per year right. is a declining percentage of revenues? Well, it's a declining percent. The cap is good. not, if you can say it goes up 10 million a year, it's the same every year, but it's not because 10 million and a 10 million increase on a $160 million cap and a 10 million increase on a $170 million cap gotcha. is a lesser percentage. So, um, so, so that, that's how it all started. So that, that 2011 is when they, and from 2011 until this year, to be honest with you, they've struggled with the cap. Um, and, that that's been their problem. So they had to restructure, which is buying from future years, and then that means the next year's a little tougher and a little tougher and a little tougher. So, um, what where they are now? They in the last few years they've been able to do flatter uh, contracts. I think that will continue with this cap space. They they don't have the big signing bonus is the thing that kills you. And if there's one thing that Flacco's deal did. It was a killer. Um, not because of his play, because we can argue that if we want, but because of the, the 50 million worth of signing bonus that he got. And that's where that 16 million in dead money that sits on the cap this year came from. Um, and so, you know, when you do the smaller signing bonuses and give the bigger first year um, salary that you guarantee and the first two year salary that you guarantee, you can give the same thing as the big signing bonus, but you can lower those cap numbers in the front years and it lowers them in the back years. The reason they had to trade Holodi Nada was because of the big cap number at the end because of his signing vote. Um, and, and they couldn't, and they, he, they couldn't work out an extension. So they ended up trading it. So those are the kind of things that I think are changing. So I think they're going to be in a lot better And obviously having 60 million just helps off the bat, but that allows them to do those flatter contract, lower bonus money. Um, the Raiders, when they bottomed out a few years ago, I mean, they were like, they, Osemele, he didn't even get a signing bonus. Mm -hmm. First year of salary was like 15 million. <laughs> the second year was 10. So in the first two years, he got 25 million, you know, as opposed to a $20 million bonus and then bought 2 million and then 3 million in base salary, which is the way contracts used to be done. So they had room under their cap to pay Osemele up front that signing bonus which is a good way to do it if you can afford to. Yeah, I know base salary, right. So, so he had a $15 million um, uh, cap number that year as opposed to what I just say. So as opposed to a what would have been otherwise a $7 million. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's how they did that. So, so that, that's, and the Ravens are going to be in that territory where they can start doing things like that. Okay. All right. Outstanding show, Brian. I mean, this is the kind of thing I just I just love having this discussion with you. It's uh, you're you're a guy who knows as much about the cap as anybody. Uh, one of the interesting things I, I, I hear occasionally from the Steelers cap guy and he and I know, you know, him personally, too, as well. But but uh, uh, he has always been harping for years on the flatness of the Steelers contracts relative to those of the Ravens, that, that the Ravens always had much more heaped money up front. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're in agreement. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he was right about that. And, you know, when, when you could hear that those years you heard the Steelers are going to be in terrible cap shape. Well, they, all they needed to do was restructure deals because the Ravens were deals were like, not as deal was, was pretty much 
pre-restructured. And Flacco's deal was until the end, until the last couple of years, and then that's why they had to extend him. It was pre-restructured. You couldn't you couldn't keep adding to it. Whereas like Brandon Williams' deal and Jefferson's deal, while you don't want to have to go through the restructures, they were able to restructure those, and it wasn't a killer. Um, what didn't make it pleasant, but it wasn't a killer. So that's that's the way the Steelers have done their deals, and that's why they were not in the cap hell that everybody thought they were going to be. And that's where the Ravens can be now. Do do the Ravens have good luck restructuring deals because the players want to play here? Is it an organizational relationship, or is it just come down to they get more money and that's Give all they them care their about? Money earlier. Right. Well, it, it, yeah, it, it, the restructures we're talking about are really are just an accounting trick. Gotcha. So the players salary into bonus, and then you extend, and then the bonus gets uh, prorated over the the length of the deal. So it's not it's no no greater no greater or less money. I mean. All those years you used to hear, and Brady was taking less, granted, but you always used to hear, oh, well, Brady's such a great guy. He's restructured his deal. He wasn't getting anything less. And so it wasn't, uh, you know, and Ray Lewis, I mean, I don't know how many years um, Mike Preston used to praise Ray about restructuring his deal and how he was, a, I don't think Preston ever understood it. <laughs> and, and, how, and how great, you know, how great it was and how great, you know, how magnanimous Ray was. And all they're doing is giving him the money in March. You know, and it, it, so if he had a five million dollars salary, they're they're reducing that down to four, reducing that down to five hundred thousand, and giving him four and a half million in March. Well, you know, I, who wouldn't take that? Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's just a simple restructure. And I, I'm going to say this, and then Brian, you correct me if I'm wrong here, because a good chance I'll explain it improperly. But a simple restructure, a player has ten million coming to him, let's say that is restructurable. You write him a check for him, and you change it all to bonus, and then you prorate that over the remainder of his contract. Gotcha. So you're giving him a, all of his money up front during a season, and you take away any risk for that player might have of, say, being cut during the year, and he gets all his money up front. No one would say no to it, and they never do. Gotcha. Well, Eugene Monroe did one time. Really? What, what was the reason for that? Uh, nobody has any idea. He, he, didn't, was, <laughs> right. he didn't understand. He was a different cat. And actually, so that was – that was, I guess, the year before he retired or before they cut him and then he mm-hmm. retired. Um, the Ravens were pissed. Mm-hmm. So they had to re- and they had to restructure somebody. They had to restructure Suggs that year, and they did not want to restructure Suggs just because he was older and, and things like that. So all Ravens contracts now have an automatic restructure language. So if they want to restructure you and, and you just get your money up. They just cut you the check and you get your money up front. But they're they're not they're not at the whim of the player anymore. Not that, I mean, I, they were. I mean, I've never heard. He's the only player I've ever heard that, that said no to giving you money in March. You know? Is is this something where Monroe was trying to use it as a bargaining chip in negotiations for an extension? I mean, he was he was. No, he already had it. He had just gotten his extension. He wow, was, this step does not make any sense. I guess he was a year into that extension. I, mm-hmm. I it it boggles my mind because you know I mean players only get paid. I mean, uh, other than bonus money, but you know, they get paid from the first game to the games or to week 17. They don't get paid year round. Mm-hmm. So why why wouldn't you want four and a half million or whatever it was in March? I, I don't know. Didn't make any sense. Nope. All right. Well, uh, Brian, thank you for joining us. I want everyone to go and follow you on Twitter at Raven Salary Cap if you're not following Brian already. And Brian, you write for Russell Street Report. Do you have anything uh, upcoming or anything recent that you've got posted up there now? Right now, it's it's kind of a dead time for the salary cap. So um, 
obviously once the end of the season comes along, I usually do a, I mean, you know, my, my job is going to be pretty easy this year because usually it's who, who we're going to cut, who we're going to restructure to create cap space. And now it's, we got cap space, so my my R is going to be pretty short these days. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here. The, it's basically the day after the season ends for the Ravens, and you've obviously you know been been writing it before to be released. But the day after the season ends, that article is typically released, and it's the most important off season article on the Ravens you can get. So it's it's great reading, and 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 Brian is alluding to the fact there may be less in a year like this, but there's still going to be plenty. Yeah. They've got free agents, they got comp pick formulas. Yeah, it'll be a nice rollout, but it won't, you know, the, the, the I'm going to have to make up names of guys to cut just because they're, you know, other than, you know, we talked about Jefferson, there's really nobody else who even fits. And, um, I mean, Carr, I guess, is another one, maybe. But the people will ask. I, I put names on there just like Brandon Woods just because people ask. And just to show them there's really, it's really silly to do that. Um, so, I'm, you know, people are already <laughs> two weeks into the season. People are already asking about hey, could we, when can we cut her all time? All right, Ken, uh, over on um, filmstudybaltimore.com, you've got uh, the defense already broken down, right? Yeah, tons of content. So this is basically the article that, that was a lot of what Brian and I discussed. There's a little more detail out there on the on the players. Of course, what Brian has added is another layer of just terrific stuff and the discussion I've, I've, I've highly valued. We're going to have the same article on the offense or a similar article, I'll say, on the, on the offense coming out. Uh, it should be tomorrow. Uh, have a good Know Your Foe episode on the Patriots coming up. We have another podcast coming up. Brian, we're hoping you can join us for that one on the offense as well uh, later this week. And we have a short coming up from Zach Binney, which is one of the best things you will hear in terms of how to do a football analytics study. And it gets to the heart of causality and, and how you, you, you work out control groups. And, and it's basically on whether it's better to run the ball out of 11 or 22 personnel. All right. Well, that's plenty of content to get you through the bye week. So, all right, guys. Well, we'll talk later. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.